welcome back. This is Film Suck, and today, I believe last week we were talking about um, an, doing an episode on the great director John Carpenter and the way his um, his filmmaking reputation has just you know skyrocketed, and he's 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 really revered now in a lot of quarters. We are still going to do it. We're just pushing it one week. Um, I requested it because I'm writing about an HBO. 10, uh, 10 episodes of the TV series called Lovecraft Country, which is getting a lot of attention, and I'm writing about it for Jacobin. So I just wanted to get that in here first before we do that. So next week will be John Carpenter. This week, we're doing Lovecraft Country. And before before we even get into that, we're going to talk a little bit about the controversy surrounding um, re- the recent screening of the, the old 1974 Mel Brooks comedy Blazing Saddles on HBO Max. So let's let's get into that and how how that a controversy developed. It's such an idiotic story. <laughs> but, yeah, but it's like, let's sort of connected, it. right? Oh yeah, it's oh it is connected. We're gonna get to how it's connected to the Lovecraft Country story. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, you um, know, since uh, actually since I'm off Facebook, I know that like, people probably in our whatever through Jacobin or, or I don't know, just generally like discuss this, but I missed this all I, I, by accident I have a, a weird coincidence I basically never watched Blazing Saddles and Ooh. I by accident w- wanted to because I think I've heard about it but unrelated to this news thing I was right. just reading some really old interview with I think Emmy Hackerling who, who said I think what she liked is like as a young person anyway and I turned it on in HBO so I was actually completely unprepared for me it was like a big surprise oh. and so, that, so that's how I find out it's actually way more I think impactful rather than kind of like you know reading about it and I turned on the movie and instead of you know the open credits uh, there's this um, kind of nice black lady presenter almost feels like a comedy but it was definitely very serious like shows up and starts telling you kind of about the context of the film for like in, actually in details and like for like full three minutes maybe longer with illustrations like little pieces of the film she shows and refers to them and it feels like you're in some kind of I mean I don't, I don't know how else to say and I don't think this this word is offensive despite what people think it's like some kind of for retards it's like who is this for I mean, I'm I'm not. I mean, I'm I guess also somewhat younger generation, and also I'm a foreigner. But I this information seems so bizarre that you need to give it to me to explain that yes, this movie is not racist. It makes fun of racist. That yes, Richard Pryor, actually a black man, corroded and all and you know and all that. Anyway, and it felt very. Uh, I don't know, like that movie Idiocracy, or like a scene from that movie that could have played out you know that you need to like a viewer explain sort of a, a an obvious over-the-top comedy you know and uh, warn them and explain why it's not offensive right otherwise they'll be triggered right because it's all about being like oh offended and triggered so you need <laughs> you need an explanation of a comedy uh so people right. wouldn't get offended and the and the way this whole thing developed is is it's a long story. It took me a while to reading to try to figure out what mm-hmm. was the initiating incident. And it turns out it was HBO Max was going to screen Gone with the Wind. And oh, then yeah. that and then there was a controversy about it. It got pulled or at least delayed. Um, they delayed the screening and I guess we're going to do the same sort of thing, contextualize, blah, 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 um, beforehand. Um, but it got pulled and then it started on Twitter. All of a sudden there was people advocating for, well, 
we think Gone with the Wind should be not only be pulled, but Blazing Saddles. So suddenly Blazing Saddles got tossed in um, to the mix of, you know, racist American movies. Um, and then there was an, that controversy, you know, HBO Max responded to that controversy by going, oh, I know what we'll do. And the, the, the nice, the, the classy black lady they brought on is Jacqueline Stewart, who I happen to know very well because I watched TCM. I'm like Carrie Fisher. TCM runs incessantly. What is that? Sorry, <laughs> my ignorance. Turner Classic Movies. And it's a really like super safe you know, you see lots of great movies, but I mean, the hosts of it are very, very bland personality, very safe, very reassuring. And they introduce every movie. It's supposed to be somewhat educational, you know, um, but it, but in a very, um, you know, it's, this is not intellectual. This is not academic stuff, particularly, even though I think there's some academic cred being brought by by her and one other, but it's very for everybody kind of thing. So, so they introduce every movie. So they literally Wait, went. Who is she? So she's actually famous. This, this well, she's, lady. She's only known if you watch TCM. She's oh, one God, of the okay. four hosts. Okay, never, never. So, <laughs> yes, and they're all they're all white except she's the she's the only black host. So that they went and got the black host from the most reassuring movie, <laughs> classic movie show. So they bring Jacqueline Stewart over to do the TCM thing. In the most reassuring way, tell you why this is, what the context for this movie is, why it's actually anti-racist. So they they couldn't have gotten more reassuring. But then if you go on reading about the controversy, which just has continued, people writing lots and lots of think pieces about it. One of the leading claims is, look, it kind of can't be racist because Mel Brooks, the, the, you know, the creator, the main creative force, went to Richard Pryor, his friend, the legendary black comic, and said... Is this okay? Can I do this movie? Especially because we use the N-word constantly. And Pryor said, I love it. By said something like, Mel, you as a person can't go around saying that word, but you know, it's all the it's all the racists in the movie and the bad guys and all the people who would say that who say it. I love it, it's great. The idea supposedly at the time was Pryor was going to play the part. Warner Brothers wouldn't insure him. Um, he was too controversial. He'd had several drug arrests and they just wouldn't, they, he, they wouldn't do it. They wouldn't finance the film. So that's how Cleavon Little wound up playing the part. It's also great. Um, but, the, but the constant trotting out of Richard Pryor, Richard Pryor said it's okay, co- accompanied by the Jacqueline Stewart thing, the, having to, to shove black representation in front of this really... <laughs> Is a, is a little shocking to me. I mean, I can see what the logic is, but the logic is a little disturbing. We've got to get some black face to go in front of this as if you're really honoring, like, it is a really controversial film. And like, <laughs> I guess, because it does in a comic way use the quote-unquote N-word, which we don't do. We just don't do anymore. It's become verboten, and which, by the way, the R-word <laughs> that you used, also now verboten, just to acknowledge. Wait, um, the R-word? Uh, yeah, okay, whatever. Quote, unquote, retar- yeah, not allowed to say it. Not the I preferred nomenclature, it. as they say in The Big Lebowski. But at any rate, um, so the all that, it just, I had no idea it was, it became such a, such a big deal with so much. And then it's, you know, now Ted Cruz, the absolutely repulsive, you know, Republican <laughs> um, guy has gotten into it by saying, by making a, this ridiculous series of tweets about how nothing should be censored. Absolutely nothing, which is so ludicrous. It's supposedly getting on the left. The left, you know, wants to, you know, wants us not to be able to watch all of these beloved classics. The left is insane. And, and you're just like, you know, the, it's the right that has always been 
the heaviest hand as far as wanting censorship of everything. So it's become this idiotic jamboree to have Ted Cruz come out and try to claim nothing should be censored. Nothing. There isn't a culture in the world that has no censorship. There is no such thing as that I've ever seen in studying film in many, many countries. There is no such thing. Every culture censors something. So especially that that was especially like ludicrous and galling. (laughs) But you see, you just start feeling like stupidity everywhere. There's just idiocy in bloom everywhere. Because, yeah, that the idea that Blazing Saddles, which is this hoot of a, mo- of, a of a crass Mel Brooks, but great Mel Brooks comedy, you know, and from his real golden era, that one in Young Frankensteiner is probably his two great, <laughs> two great, <laughs> insanely hilarious <laughs> films that are really sharp about, you know, genre film conventions. Really, really good that that of all of all goddamn things. And we, why? Because there was a Twitter storm about it. There's a Twitter storm about everything. So that was amazing to me. Yeah, I kind of, it's really bizarre because if you kind of stay off social media, which Twitter is also part of it, you almost can fully miss it. But then it's become so powerful. Then I think at some point, like if it really blows up on Twitter, like New York Times would write a story, which is like, which is so bizarre because for a long time, I believed like if you're going to disregard it, it's almost not there outside of that microclimate. But now I guess it's, it's kind of spills into, you know. It really does. Real it can media, be a, yeah. real, a disturbing driver of of events and scandals and all this bullshit. I just, it's amazing the reactions you can get from yeah. just, you know, sh- these weird shrill screams of, well, ah, now this, now this is terrible. And then you get a million people to pile on and all of a sudden you've got Jacqueline Stewart from TCM <laughs> as so your reassuring host. I mean, I have to say the whole contextualizing thing to me, it seems pretty normal because in academia, you do it all the time. You're having to show things that, that are that are difficult, tricky, controversial, maybe shocking, whatever. So you get used to, you have to frame these things up. The only time people get in trouble for showing content that at least in my experience, it's maybe getting worse all the time now, but at least in my experience was when they would run things that especially young people are just not prepared to see. They don't know a lot about history often. They're, they're, they don't know a lot about context, the context themselves. So you frame it up and say, you're, look, you're gonna, you can't show Birth of a Nation, for God's oh, sake. That's what I wanted to bring up, yeah, oh, Birth man. of a Nation. You truly cannot I mean, that's show that's disturbing, yeah. It's totally, totally shocking and disturbing, that film is. And the effect it had in the world was shocking and disturbing. So you got to say that. You could never, that would be an awful thing to do, to just run Birth of a Nation without comment. That would not be. And I, generally, I'm in favor of. I think it's a good thing for people to just let the film hit you, let it happen to you without someone always, you know, baby stepping you through. But there are some films, and that's certainly one of them, where it makes all the sense in the world. You got, you got to if you're going to show it. But um, also, the idea is like to me, it's confusing. Anyway, is it because I'm Russian or what? But basically, uh, okay, if they're doing it supposedly for the like younger generation um, who might not even know Mel Brooks is really old. I don't know, still alive but really old, kind of mm-hmm. out of the picture. And uh, you know that genre of like funny but kind of crass humor. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Is it? I don't know. It doesn't matter. But it's like now people are triggered by it. But it, to me, the idea is that let's say you're as a young person, uh, kind of mm-hmm. assume yourself that you're pretty ignorant about a lot of things mm-hmm. and um, when you encounter something doesn't matter whether it's movie book whatever a piece of art just generally like cultural kind of <laughs> like, mm-hmm. uh, different cultural things y- y- you're supposed to kind of familiarize yourself with the context 
and assume that there is some context that you don't know because you generally know very little. Mm-hmm. So, I, I mean, why there's this weird, as you say, like baby, st- I don't what is this? It's a kindergarten for 20 year olds or something. Just I don't, it, basically I, that I don't yeah. understand. And I will say that that tendency has gotten so bad, so bad. Like safe um, space, something like it's this, not, right? It's not even just that, though, that there's, that's a big thing. It's, it's, it's safe space tied to levels of ignorance that, that are stunning now. And, 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 you know, people at the university level co- complain about this constantly because literally by the time I left, it was just getting so dramatically worse every year. Like people don't read, don't know people anything. People don't read, even the don't young, know. Right? They're not being taught any form of history <laughs> at any level of sophistication they don't know context at all they, and it's this is and then you if you but if you talk to people who teach you know l high elementary to high school they can say well i can tell you why <laughs> because our educational system in america got destroyed teach to the test is the it became the, the kind of the law of the land and charter schools and all the rest of it, they kicked the slats out of demanding education and mm-hmm. everyone and that's from the students up all the way through the, the faculty and then the school itself and the administrators are all now judged, evaluated and funded based on how well students do on these tests. So, of course, there's no time <laughs> to get people used to reading for inference and context and more sophisticated ways of approaching texts and films and everything else. That's all gone because there's no time to teach it. So you're literally teaching people to take true, false, and multiple choice tests. And you know, more and more, they did away with the essay, which was supposed to drive complex thinking. Now people can hardly write an essay at all. And they panic if you try to make them formulate their own arguments because they aren't being taught how. And so it's all connected to, I no longer expect of myself as a young person to have to go in and try to figure anything out because there's the baby stepping has has gotten so terrible. It's gotten like you literally train people by taking tests to take the test that's going to count. Mm-hmm. And this this goes on constantly in the educational system. Plus, you know, they also killed all sorts of areas where certain types of complex thought were supposed to be developed. Like, you know, well, we called it English, but, you know, all of the stuff that's not STEM got considered more and more worthless. You know, mm-hmm. reading and writing skills just just not not strongly developed unless you become you know it sort of hangs on in a tiny way at really high end private schools. They're still you know a lot of them are still getting the more hardcore, the more serious, the more sophisticated edu- educational forms, or in like the special tiny programs within within schools. So there are little advanced programs. That, that, but for, for the ordinary person, it's amazing the level of helplessness, the, the level of ignorance, um, and the level of fear on the part of the students that they're not going to get the right answer. It's been, it was so disheartening by the time I left teaching uh, that I was just like, I, I, I just can't go on teaching much longer. I mean, you can't teach people everything, and it now feels like you have to teach them everything because they, ha- they haven't learned anything. <laughs> so, it's funny because it's also you think Berkeley, Jesus. right? That's yeah, I know you and told me that before, but that's you're in Berkeley, not even yeah. at a, some kind of third tier university where I guess right. it's I don't know. You expect <laughs> more and the of that fear to was happen. the worst. The fear was the absolute worst. The, the people were terrified to try to come up with arguments or try to understand anything difficult because they just hadn't been trained. Because I kind of had also another theory, but that's just me speculating. I don't know how true it is. You know, we frequently talk about it. You know, everything is also once kind of post the idea of postmodernism fully Mm -hmm. trampled everything else. I mean, isn't in kind of, and we live, I guess it's fair to say we kind of live in this 
in the world with postmodern mentality, at least here in the West. And uh, there, the idea of history is also kind of actually bizarre because there is no, and I don't say things are linear, they're not, mm. but they don't even care about any kind of progression because all almost like all the facts of all the things that equ- equally can be pastiche mm-hmm. and interchangeable. And it's also, so you don't even have or even try to mm-hmm. g- gain or acquire any kind of, you know, <laughs> sort of like picture of just like how history develops from like one century to the other and like, I don't know, social movements and all that. I don't know. There's something very like equalizing of everything mm-hmm. in this like frag- and fragmented and fragmentation mm-hmm. of everything too. So so combination of these things and probably as, obviously as you say, the kind of the destruction of education, there's that comes together because there's also just like a, a cultural moment outside mm-hmm. of even institutions right. that almost favors that, you know, mm-hmm. it's all. And then, but then it also causes what you described, freak outs. It's like, ooh, what is this movie? I'm offended. Because yes. <laughs> again, it's all just sort of equally you're supposed to be I don't know nothing nothing no one gets any slack oh and that's actually a good segue because I was thinking mm-hmm. about Lovecraft mm-hmm. when we talk about you know Lovecraft country and you know Lovecraft yeah okay now he's basically labeled as like one of the worst racists mm-hmm. but I was trying to think and to me it's new I wasn't like a kid into mm-hmm. sci-fi in any way who read, read him early on but from what I understand it's like shouldn't you also look at this a bit contextually who wasn't <laughs> around that time in his milieu like more or less it was certainly like, so, a lot more so common that, and a lot more acceptable yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. so yeah. I, you know I think it's a good segue because I'm I'm a bit I, I basically I don't fully understand this new kind of insanity because okay if we contextualize everything but let's contextualize this then too why is it because other, otherwise, you know how, like, then let's ban Jane Austen, let's ban this, let's ban that. Because there's, if there's no context, a lot of things are offensive. Well, it is a yeah. question of of how who you can read when the dust settles. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be a short list. I mean, and especially what gets talked about less is who's an absolute misogynist. Oh my God! <laughs> Once you get rid of all of them, <laughs> I'm not sure who you're reading. It's it's really yeah. You're going to have to miss a lot. Of, and you know we. The inability to to kind of be like, you know, he's a brilliant writer of horror. He's a groundbreaking and influential writer of mm-hmm. horror. And is he a, just an absolute white supremacist? Oh, my okay. God. Oh, my <laughs> God. I mean, I think he was even off the charts for his day, especially in how overt and how if you read his stories – his stories are just full of it. I mean, diatribes um, that are worked into the plots of his stories. Um, you know, if you do look at the, the call of Chulu and, he, and there's a there's a, new, a, a swamplands outside New Orleans cult. And there's just, you know, reviling of the people who worship this little this little statuette figure of the monster um, that they haven't encountered, but they believe in. And it just goes on for paragraphs in the most, in the most, you know, just just vilifying language um, to try. It makes them almost as monstrous as the monster that they worship. And they're all, quote, like mongrel celebrants. It's all in the most insulting <laughs> um, and racist language. Um, and so Lovecraft Country is clearly doing an upending. They're going to be like, okay, we'll take the monsters, the kind of Lovecraftian <laughs> monsters, and we'll make the human equivalent of those monsters, all the white racists, not the quote-unquote mongrel <laughs> people of color that, that, that you know, Lovecraft did. Um, okay, that, that's fair enough. It's at least trying to do something a little bit 
a little bit interesting, um, I think. But yeah, it, it, it is a strange thing. Um, and then certainly if someone tells me you're going to have to give up reading everybody who's <laughs> a racist and, misog- and go down the list, I'm just like, I, I, I refuse. Nope. I, do. I, <laughs> I can handle the fact that, yeah, there are some terrible, terrible worldviews going on among writers, among filmmakers, among name creative people. And writers especially, they're not a fragrant, lovely group. There's a lot of fucking troubled people who become writers and have terrible, terrible uh, attitudes, sci-fi. opinions, lives, you name it. Yeah, oh my God. But it's not like sci-fi with heavy with just generally, it's like frequently, I mean, don't want to generalize too much, but a lot of the famous sci-fi authors and like the, the books they write it's kind of like white male fantasy yeah. of uh, going on an adventure <laughs> at least there yes. seems like there's a number of really famous celebrated writers but yeah, i don't know and is it more than in other areas i don't know maybe no yeah maybe. yeah no it's considered more i think i was talking to you briefly like people because it's almost i don't know i don't, don't want to essentialize but it's mm-hmm. like it seems like boys and men yeah. have read it more until you know i mean i, I started getting into sci-fi because i love philip k dick but it was much later in my like mm-hmm. 20s i don't know mm-hmm. I mean, twenties. Anyway, but like I know, boys. I lured to that even in my high school. I think I saw early on into different mm-hmm. like sci-fi worlds. And usually, if you start looking at that, even like I don't know, Isaac Asimov, like a, a lot of stuff. It's it is that. It's kind of like a white man adventure, mm-hmm. uh, sort of like fantasy of being strong and uh, sort of like all all kind of adventurous, powerful. There's mm-hmm. like some, I guess, ladies along the way, but it doesn't matter. It's sort of pretty misogynistic no, narration. That's even part of the plot of Lovecraft Country, right? You've got the lead guy tick mm-hmm. who's a huge you know reader of sci-fi mm-hmm. you know fiction saying well i love you know and he, he gets rebuked by the by the middle-aged black woman on the bus you know mm-hmm. but who's he reading and and she's like oh it's a confederate hero oh he's reading the john carter story <laughs> he's like oh that's a confederate hero i don't know about that and they get into a whole discussion of well you're reading a racist you know, book by a racist writer or whatever, potentially. And he's like, yeah, but it's it's what I can't get in my life, which is yeah. practically def- the definition of genre. What I can't get in my life is adventure and me in the heroic role. And I'm a black guy from Chicago and I'm not going to be allowed to play that role. Ironically, we're going to watch him play that role. Um, but that's what that's what draws him. That's why he loves it. And that's why we love genre. It tends to be built on what can't you get in your life? (laughs) And then it gives it to you in heaping, you know, here, all the adventure, all the romance, all the hilarity, all the name it. Um, and so he's he wants to be part of it. So they actually worked that in in a nice way, yeah. I thought. Yeah, that's interesting. But also since and then it's almost like, again, not a crime, but just the way it is, what it was, I guess, historically, mm-hmm. uh, mostly most writers of that of that genre, especially back in the day, they're all white males. So the fantasies have a certain like, you know, <laughs> they, they skewed certain way. You know, mm-hmm. that's, Absolutely. that's the people writing them. So if black Who writers are women to become write, top writers of often yeah. and exactly. So if, if you read Ursula Le Guin, it's obviously quite different and stuff like that. So it's mm-hmm. sort of it's kind of on the surface. So I mean, unless we ban historically all this, as you say, <laughs> all these writers, all mm-hmm. these books, it's like you can't run away from that. They're just part of history. So they're just yeah. But that, I think there is. are a lot of people who are quite committed to the idea of no, no, you guess you can't. Just then, just read Ursula Le Guin. Like to just, history, just right? Just read Ursula Le Guin, mm-hmm. and that's it. You're just reading Toni Morrison from now on, and that's it. And I think there's a, an awful lot of people who seem weirdly comfortable with hmm. at least broadly this idea. I'm always stunned. Like, really? But maybe I like I like more, you know, 
<laughs> more questionable authors than they do. I like I like I'm not I'm not a huge fan of the of the contemporary voice in in writing in fiction especially. Which so is I what? tend to read a lot of old shit. Oh, you know, if you ever pick just pick up a contemporary novel, mm-hmm. you know, which I do periodically. Which I just <laughs> But oh my what God. is the voice? <laughs> 99 times out of 100 and I'll I'll keep checking just periodically randomly. I just can't stand the tone. There's a tone. I can't even describe it, but I hate it instantly. Is it some kind of sort of like smug middle class? Yes, it's, it's always kind of smug and callow and shallow and self-pitying and there's just this there's a series of all and arrogant and I just like start a paragraph in and I'm like, "Ah!" and I have to stop reading. And also sentimental, right, frequently. Yeah. Yeah, there's a whole series of things that I just I just tend to hate. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> so I I'm yeah, I read a lot of old you yeah, know, regressive too. authors who are geniuses, but you know, come on. Well, yeah, I wonder what the people Bronte think. The sisters, of- I love them, but they didn't have they didn't have admirable ideas. <laughs> they were they were masses of of bad prejudice. They were, but mm-hmm. you know, everyone they knew was too, and you know, I don't know what to yeah. say. About it. I wonder. Actually, it's a bit of a like sidetrack, but since you're a professor and you're close mm-hmm. to all this, what's the consensus now on Marquis de Sade? Like. Is it is he completely banned from like the? Uh, oh, I wish we had John Dolan on. He wrote his he wrote his dissertation on the Marquis de Sade, and and had so many interesting things to say. And and I I, I don't want to misquote him. I I know nothing first uh, firsthand. I, I literally I, I know sure I, I got one essay of his once a long time ago. I know um, I love yeah okay. But no, I, I, heard I love that his it books, waxed yeah. and waned, and according to John, who's said very hilarious and bitter things, it, that it went through the phase where he was getting reclaimed as someone who the naive point of view said was really actually <laughs> brilliant and you you know all sorts of reasons you want to read him, but really he were he was really an awful guy. He was really terrible, and then tried to reclaim him and say he wasn't really. That was the kind of naive belief. And John wanted uh, to come around and say no, no, no he was bad. He was really, <laughs> really, really bad. But that was a long time ago. So actually, I don't know. I'm sure there's been many twists and turns um, since then. Okay, you know, because he's so funny. Like, I was just thinking, because we were talking about Blazing Saddles and kind of over-the-top satire. And, uh, well, despite whatever, how horrible and perverted his, whatever, Marcus de Sade's sexual life was, and he spent many years, or half his life, I think, in jail. Mm-hmm. But um, but it just his writing, even, I, I read it first as a teenager, and I guess it struck me more, and it was, like, a bit more, like... I don't know. Not horrifying, but definitely, despite being funny, it, it like hits you more. But as, adult, mm-hmm. as an adult, if you start reading it, it's so funny. He's just doing kind of like this really morbid, over the top, kind of grotesque satire mm-hmm. of elites, like pre revolutionary France, kind of like rotten top aristocrats. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and you know, the physicality he describes and the sexual acts, I mean, it seems to be so pertinent to now. Like, let's say all the apps mm-hmm. in case. It's like, that's a good language to use it's like f- funny and over the top and very vivid and and seems to be also f- frequently you know it can be true to life it just like again the elites usually hide it and present a very kind of this like almost innocent proper like face <laughs> to to the world which 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 they don't really right. maintain behind the closed doors yeah anyway so i i was just and i'm sure it's asking, his revolutionary you know cred that mm-hmm. makes people want to salvage him somehow but you know what mm-hmm. on the other hand wasn't he and again i wish i had john here wasn't that the what was the work that drove him mad it was pamela 100, 
Pamela, the name. No, no. There's it wasn't a, Saddam, 120 Days Saddam. No, That's no. Not the it, one this that's story from. is he read Pamela by, by mm-hmm. Samuel Richardson, which is you know, uh-huh. that, that first, you know, sentimental novel with the female at the center. And it's all emotive and melodramatic. And she's the servant girl in the aristocratic house of the aristocratic male. Mm-hmm. And he keeps like trying to trying to rape her 50,000 times and she keeps having to argue for her equal worth with him and blah, blah, blah. And in the end, he marries her. Well, apparently this drove the Marquis de Sade mad. He hated the character and he wrote, he wrote, he kind of addressed Justine it in Justine. Justine, yeah, okay. Yes. And made her what? She's calc- She's calculating. Is she a calculating prostitute? There's a calculating prostitute and then there's an innocent figure and, and he's really mocking the kind of melodramatic universe of, of supposedly right versus wrong and the idea mm-hmm. of that character of Pamela as an innocent, morally good person where he's like, come on, she's a little, she's a little calculator and, and she's ever, you know, she's not as bad as him maybe, but she's certainly in there angling to get what she can out of the situation, which in her case would be, would be marriage and huge levels of elevation financially, socially, blah, blah, blah. But anyway, yeah. So there's that where you'd think if you wanted to be the revolutionary, you'd always be on the side of this of the of the servant class that has no that is powerless, and instead he reverses it and and, and goes on the attack. So you know, very tricky, very complicated. But I I know so little. I I'm, I'm sure I'm misquoting John, and he'd be horrified if he heard this. So well, if so, we ever yeah. do something I like on Pasolini, we can invite John because yeah, I think Pasolini did a great job <laughs> with the movie. Mm-hmm. It did 120 days to down. Yeah, but anyway, but that's okay. That's that's definitely sidetracking. Okay, yes, so anyway, I, I feel like to Lovecraft Country. Lovecraft Country. Look, you wrote the review, and mm-hmm. it will come out. And I, I know you don't probably you don't want to reiterate certain points, but at least you're probably in a better position to just generally talk about it because I uh, the first thing I say, I mean, I was so kind of like both bored by it and kind of disgusted by this uh, banal derivative aesthetic that all the shows lately that I at least mm-hmm. I, see, I see for I don't know if they for the I guess for the podcast or just in general have that so I don't I, I barely could like keep attention I mean I, mm-hmm. I watched I watched the entire episode but it was truly kind of <laughs> painful so I don't know how is it for you well, I'm more interested in what t- seems to me an overall project that I that I like that Jordan Peele has been super involved with is well known. Executive which is, producer, right? Yeah. yeah, he's the executive producer and I guess co-creator. His differences, depending on what you read, what his actual role is. But yeah, it seems like he was in on the creation of it from the beginning, but took mainly an executive producer credit. But he wrote and directed Get Out, obviously, mm-hmm. and then Us. And it's you know very clear that the approach is to look at the black experience in America via horror film conventions. Okay. You know, he's not the first to do it by any means, especially in the 70s, the black exploitation um, so-called um, category of filmmaking. There were several, you know, a number of these films got made. Oh, Mandy McKimgo was great. Well, black, is that horror? Well, that's the oh. horror of slavery. Yeah, yeah, it's but, not horror. It's like just like Blackula, And then there were a couple of other films that also took on vamp- vampirism um, and sort of fed the black experience, especially, you know, mm-hmm. I forget. It's a, it's, I think it's an African prince in Blackula who's, who's, who's been trying to, you know, get the slave trade to, to end. And, of course, it doesn't end. And he goes on, you know, a, a horror rampage kind of. Um, so... You know, and there's a longer history of that, and and I'm that's just you know black directors being involved. But if you if it's like 
black figures who are the main figures in a horror film, though it was might have been you know directed by somebody white, it, it expands. You know, Night of the Living Dead becomes an important film because Dwayne Jones stars in the lead role, and and it's clearly this all this commentary on you know the horrors of racial injustice and in, in lynching. Um, in the ending sequence of Night of the Living Dead. So then you get an expanded um, set of films. But at any rate, I'm just in sympathy with the project because, of course, I like I like the use of genre film because you can reach mass audiences and with something that's already regarded as somehow still valid. I mean, genres die. If they no longer seem to appeal or apply to people's lives, then they just fade away. So horror, of course, never is never going to die for good, for obvious reasons. And this seems like a great way to approach the black experience in America. So I didn't love by any means this iteration, Lovecraft Country, but I still found it interesting. And there's, you know, there's some performers I like in it. I like the three leads quite a lot. Um, I really like Jonathan Majors in the lead role. Um, and what's her name? Um, Journey Smollett as Letitia. And, of course, Courtney B. Vance is always good as the Uncle George. It's basically, if you if you haven't yet seen it, I'll just quickly tell you what it's about. Um, it, Lovecraft Country is Jim Crow America in this film. It's in the 1950s. I mean, in the show. And it's about a returning Korean war vet um, named, it's a little embarrassing, Atticus Freeman. <laughs> uh, and But his nickname is Tick, and he's return, he returns to his hometown of Chicago, finds out basically his father has gone missing in mysterious circumstances, and he sets at, on his way to a place called Arkham, Massachusetts, New England obviously. And Arkham, Massachusetts if you know your, if you know your Lovecraft, is, is this horrific town in, in his you know, great masterpiece of a story, The Color Out of Space. Um, that is this place that you shun at all costs. It's this completely blighted space where a meteor landed and the terrible, terrible things happen and nothing can live there and stay sane or even just survive. So having to go to Arkham, Massachusetts is supposed to have with it already this kind of level of terror. And then, of course, what they're adding to it is it's going to be Jim Crow horrors all the way. Um, no place to stay. You're going to have to rely on the, you know, the so-called green books, you know, that were traveler's guides for black citizens who often couldn't find a hotel to stay in or a restaurant to stay in or what, or to eat in or whatever. And that was supposed to guide you to safe spots on your trip. And of course, nothing's really safe. So they're constantly being confronted. They're constantly on the run. There's constantly white, you know, yahoos chasing them, you know, and firing away with massive amounts of guns. There's evil, you know, the, the sadistic sheriff who's, you know, claiming he wants to run them out of the county because it's quote unquote sundown county. Um, Usually they're referred to as sundown towns. You had to be out of town if you were black by um, nightfall or the nicest thing that would happen to you is you'd be arrested. It'd probably be much, much worse. And he's claiming he wants to get them out, but he's really playing with them. And of course, they don't dare speed. It's probably the most tense sequence in the film, in the show, rather, the first episode where they, they have to drive under the speed limit so he won't arrest them. But they have to get out over the over the county line by the sunset. And it's that's a couple of minutes away. So that's just some examples of how they're weaving together the actual Lovecraftian monsters they're encountering and the racist monsters they're also encountering. And sometimes those two become very much blended into one being, um, white racist and Lovecraftian monster. So that's the conceit of the show. 
And there's mysteries all over the place of like, what's the deal with these characters in various ways? You know, what's their backstory? What are they about? And you're trying to kind of figure them out. And there's one of the things I did like was there was a lot of restraint about that. In a lot of American movies and TV shows, they won't let you wonder about anything for they just won't let you wonder. <laughs> you constantly have to have you know, psych 101 explanations of every single character. You have to know everything about them um, before you can move on at all. I even read a, 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 one of the few negative reviews in The Atlantic, and it's one of the complaints. Like, who are these characters? I can't get any sense of, what, of who they really are. But, but they're all secretive, and they're all super reticent, and they're not telling. <laughs> There's all this sort of hinting at, like there's a scene where the the Korean War vet gets, I think he's gets a phone call and, and someone says, you never should have left, meaning you never should have left Korea, presumably, but you don't know who it is. It just comes out of left field. Presumably we're going to learn something later, but, but we don't know. We don't know anything about the Letitia Dandridge character and like why she's broke, where she, how come she missed her mother's funeral? Why has she been missing for a long time? And there's no explanation forthcoming. You don't know how she's been living. You don't know anything about her. Um, and they keep that going, which, you know, I'm grateful for for small favors when I watch a lot of American content now, because usually they just will not let you speculate at all. And that review was so hilarious, saying, why haven't you told us absolutely everything <laughs> immediately? Which is what, again, that's that baby stepping thing. Everyone's got to know everything and not be confused for one second. Yeah. But, uh, you know, to me, the interesting part Okay, uh, again, I have to insist, uh, I don't know how was it for you, but aesthetically, uh, I'm, it, it's not the first time, it's like constantly, I don't know, this year or maybe a few years since I started really paying attention to mm -hmm. shows and I usually don't know even movies. Like to me, it's all blends into one. Does, doesn't the aesthetic of the show remind you even a little bit because we did an episode of Motherless Brooklyn? Mm -hmm. It's also like the same, I guess, um, the same era, the show is like 1950s, but... I, I don't know. There's something. Do you like mean the like the color work. scheme and the camera yeah, the work? Yeah, the color scheme, yeah. the camera work, and I know. Yes, it's period, so it should mm -hmm. be like the costume should be similar. I know it's intentional, but just but everything blends into one. And then in my head, even not only it's like blends into let's say Motherless Brooklyn, that at least it's also 1950s. So I guess it's like mm -hmm. not that surprising. But then to me, for me, because I suffered through actually all something insane eight or nine episodes of that show that recently came out on Netflix original uh, Hollywood. About mm -hmm. I think it's might be like 1930s or 40s Hollywood. Mm -hmm. remember we were talking about it oh, so right. yeah, yeah. and that blends to me into because there are also a lot of black characters anyway the narratively I mean obviously it, it's probably much worse than uh -huh. Lovecraft Country but aesthetically speaking you know because movies are shows supposedly at least the elevated ones created supposedly by some auteurs they, they pretend to be something more than just soap so but it just all blends into one and even worse <laughs> for me it also blends into this I don't know if I ever brought it up, like Channel One aesthetic. Channel mm -hmm. One is this like major channel in Russia, mm -hmm. uh, like uh, kind of Kremlin affiliated, but they produce, at least for Russia, one of the most expensive because they have the budget shows and it's sort of like, I guess, considered quality mm -hmm. <laughs> and, uh, you know, money and all that. And some of it somewhat inventive for whatever reason. And uh, anyway, but there's this, this like stale, like, aesthetic it's the steadicam it's the shots it just everything is so like both bland but also recognizable and and mm -hmm. to me it signifies just outside of the even content it, it, i mean thematically these things are different and they're different characters mm -hmm. but it's always this like wooden dialogue it's always this like people are too hot and kind of like similarly hot doesn't matter what 
uh, color, what, what like skin color they are, are they like a bit thicker or thinner? That would be like the hottest person of that kind of <laughs> category. And uh, so, yeah. And uh, on top of that, it's sort of, yeah, not only it's wooden, it sort of has this like sense of like stagnation, which fits because we do live in stagnation. So it's not like I don't think I'm too off on that, but yeah, and and it's I can't even get really interested in that intellectually. I can when you when you're telling me why you're interested in it, I actually agree with you. And I guess Jordan Peele has you know the right approach to it and the right person to like tackle this. But overall, that just it really boggles me. You know the form of that that's always like this, and you know. No, I admit, I admit I avoid. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, all this whole supposed golden age of television we're in and with HBO very much, you know, at the head of the pack. And I have tended to avoid a lot of it simply for that, for exactly that reason. There's a look of posh prestige television. Yeah. Um, that It reminds me of the old era of the what they used to call the tradition of quality in movies where and it was all <laughs> about the same kind of thing. There's this kind of stagnation around movies that are they're often period, they're romantic, uh-huh. but there's all this fabulous and elaborate costuming and sets and everything, but everything is very heavy and studio static. And the, the yeah, the the, fr- the French New Wave and the and the auteur theorists were in outright rebellion against that tendency Ugh, in France. I just like this them, is yeah. <laughs> There's no liveliness. There's no adventurousness as far as aesthetic choices, especially shooting and cutting style and lighting and color and everything. There's everything. no adventure. Everything is smooth, smooth and kind of I don't know has a kind of solemnity and self importance and yeah, and you yeah, feel no, the money. All- you feel the you money feel there. You feel the money. You feel the money, and, and sometimes it's it's worse than some movies or, the, yeah. or, or shows than than some other shows. But it's also like kind of like has this weird powdery kind of taste. Like it's like there's some kind of they sprinkle something on top, <laughs> yeah. but it might be just a filter they choose. I don't know. It's mm-hmm. all in digital anyway. It doesn't matter how they shoot films or shows, and yeah, and, and in the end, it's like this very sense of like expensive factory production and then mm-hmm. now it's like they call it yeah golden era i don't know what's so golden about it but um <clears throat> i would say gilded gilded age mm-hmm. new gilded age but yeah it's like american show factory production and, and it's no one escapes it it seems which mm-hmm. is surprising if suppose if they attract people from you know talent like clearly like talented people who sometimes do interesting indie films and then they attract them as i don't know writers directors producers into this show factory production mm-hmm. they really it, it just you sense very little of, i don't know what's left of them there because they just blend right in mm-hmm. into this into the same into the same stagnation aesthetic which yeah, to me is a bit boggling i guess it's the money you say you sense the money and i think people of- tend to, to love it they think they see the posh qualities and think well it, it's like when they called it would literally call the, the type of film tradition of quality well it's quality isn't it so that means it's good <laughs> so it's telling <laughs> but- you it's good <laughs> that's what it's supposed to it's supposed to be suggesting with all the shots you- yeah, but that, yeah, by, by quality it means. But when you say quality, I guess I know you're like ironic, but mm. and that some people like it that it's sort of like shot. I don't know what well that there is like yes. a good well made production design, yes. high production values. Yeah, yeah, all that. Uh, and people even accept as 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 really great writing stuff that I'm like, really? <laughs> Does that seem like really great writing? It's awfully explainy, don't you think? It's awfully yeah. explainy, but that's become so so much the norm. Wait, who um, says it's great writing? It's so wooden, everything. Again, and, like, all this prestige forced. TV is considered just just, just the apex of writing. <sighs> I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. 
So, I mean, yeah, I've had trouble with this for years. I'm just like, uh, the same kind of thing. It is. It's it's this again. And especially period stuff has a certain period look to it. I don't know what yeah. they do, if there's a special fill. It's not as, they don't take it as far as this this the sepia toned that used to connote mm-hmm. <laughs> period, but it's, it's in that field where you feel like, oh, you're telling us it's period by putting whatever that is whatever that look is that that does something to the colors and tones of the lighting that it's period and it's loving period like look how we got all the details right that's also part of the quality yeah, but they never get the teeth right even when they show 19th oh, no. century no the, the, never the, the teeth are right tends mm-hmm. not to make it appear <laughs> do the teeth right then do something right yeah yeah but that you know that raggedness the rawness that's exactly what get tends to get buffed out of of prestige TV and, and traditional quality stuff. Yeah. Cause people don't really want to see that, <laughs> yeah. but a good example of a kind of idiocy. I mean, I, I just finished praising, like I liked that at least in the first episode, there was a deliberate. And I think that it made a lot of sense given you're living under white supremacy. You're going to be reticent and hold a lot back even among, and there's so much pain it just made a lot of sense to me in terms of the characters, and I was grateful for it. Wow, they're mm-hmm. actually holding people back, especially the lead characters. It's very kind of restrained guy. Great. But, oh my God, there's so much overstressing of the facts of life of, under Jim Crow that it's embarrassing. Like, there's a, there's a scene where they, they go to, to just fill up the, the car with gas. They're on the, this road trip, this mm-hmm. highly dangerous road trip on the way to Arkham. And they're filling up and, you know, there's some some teenager does some appalling, you know, imitation of a monkey to revile them as they're driving away. As they're driving away from, you know, this awful thing that they don't dare, they can't address it, they can't counter it, it would be endangering their lives to do it. They have to just drive away. They drive past this enormous billboard with the Aunt Jemima Mammy figure um, image. It's very famous for pancake mix, et cetera. Here, it literally, literally Quaker Oats only just agreed on June 17th of this year to get rid of the image and the name for the first time in the name of Rachel Progress. So that's how recent (laughs) that is. So anyway, but it's given this huge ass shot and it's one of those sweeping prestige television shots. Really, really, really beautiful, craney, (laughs) kind of smooth movement to get you to get this big, big look at it. Well, what's really depressing is there's a insider is the name of the site said, you know, wrote a piece that said details you might have missed in Lovecraft County (laughs) and literally went through some of the most obvious huge ass effects that you couldn't possibly miss, you'd think, and explained each one of them. And that was one of them. You might have missed the Aunt Jemima billboard. And I'm like, unless you were asleep during that part, you couldn't have missed it. But the assumption there, and this brings us right back to the kind of idiocracy, what the hell's going on thing, is the assumption in that article. And in fact, you can feel it in the show that nobody knows anything about this era. And everything has to be overstressed and overexplained to the point that it undercuts the impact because you're like, why would you keep insisting on it? It's ubiquitous in the world they live in. That's the point. It should just be everywhere. It should be the signs of a racist society. They should be passing it constantly without any big shot to tell you, see? You know, Slow but they, zoom in. Exactly. <laughs> right. But instead, again, spoon feed everyone. And then this article comes out and I'm reading it going, oh my God, you're just assuming nobody knows anything. Nobody knows what Jim Crow was. Nobody knows Mm-mm. anything. And the depressing thing is maybe people really don't. So you're just like kind of torn, like, I don't know. 
It seems obvious to me, but I don't know. And then it's very explainy in the show. Like, oh, you know, Uncle George writes those green book safe travel guides. And there's just long discussion, you know, there's really all this emphasis to make sure you get that concept, which after that movie, Green, what it was called Green Book, green won book the Oscar. <laughs> uh, you'd think no one needs it explained, but it's all, everything is, everything is, tends to be couched in, in this way of we're assuming nobody knows nothing. <sighs> watching yeah. this well i guess they don't if you're like on tiktok all day or i don't know even though it's a it's a hot you know race is a hugely hot topic right now deservedly so it's just a strange thing there's both an assumption of total ignorance and a hypersensitivity as if everyone is totally aware and we're we're in in some ever dumb <laughs> set of positions uh, it, it, between those two opposites it's very very confounding actually so that's yeah. the weakest part of the show to me it's just like god god you're 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 underscoring this to the point of it being embarrassing over and over again so and yet you kind of praise it at least for being subtler in some other ways act, just for those yeah yeah just for the way the actors are i hope the actors go on being like this where everything everyone doesn't have to spill up the abcs of their psychology and their motivate mm -hmm. motivating emotions and the things in their past that made them do this other thing i'm really <laughs> praying to god that doesn't all get revealed in the next several episodes though it probably will but it's, it's good that like um you know movies that tv shows do not allow hyperlinks or you know otherwise they would put <laughs> yes. them like so everything could be yes <laughs> well they can put these it these are the three on key traumatic incidents yeah. in but the character's life blah 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 yeah, but, yeah but it can pop I guess well that would be like I guess would it be post post postmodern if that pops up on screen for like 10 seconds yeah. <laughs> and then disappears and then you know right so you can really so you would grasp it so really. you could really delude yourself mm -hmm. that you understand all now I know I just hate it so much oh my gosh oh, yeah yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, oh, yeah. you know, actually, they started doing uh, uh, this thing. I think I noticed it on Amazon Prime. If you watch it, not on a kind of big TV, but almost like through, let's say it's on your laptop, right? Mm -hmm. And I think either it pops up on its own or you, or you can put your mouse in like, I think something like upper left corner while uh -huh. watching a film. And it will immediately show you all the kind of like information about yeah. that scene, all the actors in it, some kind of details. Some might be, okay, not necessarily psych psychology of the character, but like almost too much information about what's going on there which I, well almost what I'm saying but but you have to hover I think to get there it doesn't like automatically fills your and, screen and you're right this brings us right back to kind of where we started between the two poles of you've got to over explain and over and spoon feed everything or and frame everything so that no one is ever shocked or threatened or insulted mm -hmm. or whatever versus just let it happen to you because that's the only way you're going to get at anything really out of a film experience that isn't a canned pre-digested, you know, imposing a meaning on it kind of thing. And so you're having to oscillate between those two poles is so depressing because everyone seems to take such a stupid stance somewhere between there. And it's like, you know, that should be the goal. I, to me, it always is. But, you know, students hated that. <laughs> you know, my my desire to just throw a film up on screen, again, not, not birth of a nation, not anything extreme like that. But films in general, I think it's, that was my experience. Believe me, nobody gave... I had the least helpful film film history professor in the history of the world. <laughs> and you were just constantly, there's just an onslaught of images and films without context. I, you barely knew anything. You barely knew the name and the year. 
And in a way that I think that benefited me. I just got, and also the way you, you saw movies on TV, all cut to ribbons and all different types of films from all different places and all different eras. And they were all just slurred together. And you just encountered all this stuff that made it much more exciting and made you want to know more and made you kind of strive to understand more in a way that I've always thought was beneficial, but it just seems like it's, it's I don't know. We're in a, we're in a bad time. <laughs> and your students, your students already hated it. Which, like, if you didn't contextualize. They tended to hate it. They tended to want to know, like, I tr- used to try to be really minimal about uh, when I had the screening for whatever it was for the class to say very, very little. But, you know, they were used to, in fact, they, I would, they would tell me from other classes, well, you know, so-and-so always gives us, you know, the main points we should be looking for and even the, the discussion questions that'll be coming up. And so in other words, somebody, somebody chewed it for them and then <laughs> put it into their mouths like a mother bird into a baby bird's mouth. And I was just like, really? Because I don't want to tell you look at these three things in this movie and then you will look at those three things and you will come out of it with nothing to say except I saw those three things. That just seems so bizarre. But you know what? Really I don't, again, good. I don't understand, I guess, your later students were like younger generation than I am. But what I understand is like in this, at least somewhat positive one of the only positive developments of today is like you have access without even going to the library to all this information mm-hmm. through internet and i think the idea was that actually people should become or should have <laughs> become more autodidactic than some previous generations well, and it's potentially. not like you wouldn't get occasional students who really knew like a shitload you'd get a few you would you get exceptional yeah, I mean, I'm talking students. about on average that since no, everyone has this access no no not some exceptional ones i'm actually yeah. on average you would think that then then previous generations who you have to be a bit more nerdy and go to right. libraries and be more into books like literal books and without like some kind of cliff notes now actually uh, which whatever bad and good uh, there's like so you can have access you like you have you inquisitive you like let's say you're on a send oh what's what i watched what i read and you can f- figure out you can read the backstory or multiple of them from different angles you know mm-hmm. and, and the fact that you say they don't do it or they don't even get this concept what the hell are they doing online well and i remember when you know really everything got very digital and everything information became overwhelmingly accessible and i remember thinking but the great thing is exactly what you're saying everyone's going to become so well versed and so soaked in images and so mm-hmm. used to looking up information that education is just going to be like opened up and it went was exactly the opposite <laughs> it was exactly the opposite instead of getting more sophisticated because they'd seen so much stuff it seemed like they, the overall trend and again always exceptions but the overall trend was to get less and less sophisticated and have less and less thought and less and less awareness and less and less context and often not and worse and worse at accessing information and i'd be like do you realize how hard it used to be to have to research anything Compared to what it is now, oh my god! To get to get students to Google something, <laughs> like in my stardom class, you get to Google it. You can now use Wikipedia. You can use any trashy Entertainment Weekly source. Anything yeah. is now fair game because that's what start. It's part of stardom that all texts, all the garbage texts, the gossip, the worst crap accrues. And yeah. I, I thought they'd all get excited and be like, oh, my God, really? I can Wikipedia? I can, I can, do, I can do TMZ? I can do the worst? I, I thought they were all, oh, no. Oh, but no. But they wouldn't. 
They oh, you could not. I'd be like, are you fucking kidding me? When they give turn in some appalling piece on a star that had no depth, knew nothing about their youth, knew none of the scandals of their lives, knew nothing. I'd be like, all you had to do was fucking Google it, and you didn't Google it. What's wrong? I was it was really devastating. I had to stop teaching the stardom class. It was like you've taken all the fun out of it. But also, whoa, it's uh, the stardom one, the bizarre one because it's so gossipy. It's I mean, so I'm not fun. proud of it, but it's so <laughs> it just it's almost like embarrassing as a class. But if you're taking it, it's so easy. What? So easy, but you got to do still got to do something. But yeah, what the yeah, something yeah, you course. have to do is so easy and enjoyable. I was just like, you no longer have to have peer reviewed sources that are difficult to read. Usually, none of that. Now you can go to crap sites and revel, revel. <sighs> nope. I had people write papers about Angelina Jolie saying that she's this wonderfully giving earth mother who adopts children and does charity work. And I'm like, really? She used to wear a vial of Billy Bob Thornton's blood around her neck. Um, uh, you know, she and she had, she, she was her first marriage to Johnny Lee Miller was she hacked with her a knife. She hacked up her own shirt and maybe skin. She was going in a whole other direction in her early stardom and they knew nothing of it because they didn't Google her. They only knew her last three three films or something. So it was that kind That's of That's kind of great for, I guess, for, I don't know, if there's such short memory, I guess good for stars. I don't know. Who is it good for? Yeah, you could completely rewrite. <laughs> yeah. Rewrite yeah. your persona. <laughs> multiple, multiple times. Cause, you know, no, my everyone... favorite example is the ones who said that Robert De Niro's star image is all about being you know, a either funny or humor or somehow humorous father who ultimately you can trust. That's who they thought Robert De Niro was as a star. And I was um, just like, holy shit. <laughs> okay. Yeah. 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 Wow. So anyway, I, we got far afield, but I mean, yeah. So uh, the show is based on a book that which yeah. I haven't read. And I think nope. honestly, I don't want to, <laughs> but it's uh, written by this uh, white, white writer, mm-hmm. Matt, Ruff, Ruff, I think I pronounced yeah. it right, Matt, Matt Ruff. But it was inspired, I mean, he's not hiding, it's fine. It was mm-hmm. inspired by an essay written by a black woman. Mm-hmm. Do, did you know about that? No, I missed that. What, what's the essay? Okay. It's an essay, I haven't read it either, but I, and I, I think it takes a while to like find it because like mm-hmm. you know his his book is what what accessible mm-hmm. but he's not hiding it i don't know i find it kind of you know it in terms of the just narratively um mm-hmm. you know he built this world because that's the show is basically his book but the it seems to be the the impetus of this world mm-hmm. was in her like you know literary whatever literary essay i need to f- probably find her name well yeah was i it don't about, think he said was her it name. about lovecraft's racism or was it mm-hmm. do you remember yeah it was yes, okay yes yes yeah. so it's like built around that i mean obviously it's not plagiarism in any way just like inspired and he's not hiding but you know kind of interesting that a huge still this huge show is based on a white guy's book especially in this sensitive times i'm just mm-hmm. you know if i want to play if i want to like gonna be like them whatever like them i guess it's like liberals american Mm -hmm. liberals then isn't it questionable sure jordan bill at least executive producer is black Mm -hmm. but the book is written by a white guy or or that's not just by their own you know by their own kind of standards Mm -hmm. i mean i don't even know i mean I, I, i kind of touched on the opposite which is Mel Brooks comes up with Blazing Saddles and then goes to Richard Pryor <laughs> to say, is this okay, Richard Pryor? You have to tell me if I can make this movie. You have to give me credibility. Uh, that maybe makes, that, may, that maybe is less awful, I, I guess. 
is more okay. They were friends anyway. Just tell me if I can do this. And if you think, if you like it, it'll be okay. To, I got the idea from a black writer and I took it and ran with it. I don't know. I, I just feel like on all these questions, I'm so the wrong person. <laughs> I'm so the wrong, I'm so the wrong person. I don't understand. I mean, I, I mean, I was a married to a, to a guy who was so mixed race. He was virtually unclassifiable. What I mean, do you mean? Next? He was African-American. He had he, his, his family. They came, half of it came out through New Orleans. Half of it came up. And they, they, it was all America. He had, he had, I think it was Native American. He had, he had, you know, white from French. Uh, he had, he had he, I can't even name them all. And he was like constantly being identified everywhere he went. When he went to Hawaii, they'd welcome him home. Literally, they'd say, welcome home. <laughs> he was claimed by people from India. They would come up and say, oh, hi, you're from India. He it just went on constantly. He was a, the, the person of the world. And he hated every people. People constantly asked him, what, quote, unquote, what are you? And, and he hated it. He he would just always parry it and say, "Well, why do you, why do you ask? Why do you want to know?" Um, and he would have to go down a whole list, but he never would. He wouldn't tell people. Um, but that idea that now we we're we're doubling down on the idea of these racial classifications that that we have to now somehow I don't know res- respect and honor only black only the black person can talk about the black experience. No, it's well, does, horrible. Does Felipe obviously. get to talk about every experience that you just don't? There was yeah, there was a horrible incident in our in our grad student days. He was ahead of me by several years, and he he was older. He had come back as a returning student, and and someone who was very much in this whole idea. Of we're going to address you know the horrors of racism through through this this kind of idea. He used to break his class down to teach some object lesson. I forget what it was, um, or he'd break the class down by race and make people in the white group versus the Asian group versus the do different types of work. I forget what he was trying to illustrate. It was so horrifying. And somebody said, "Well, what 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 is Philippe going to have to do all the work because he's going to be in all the he's going to be in all the groups?" And it just got to this kind of level of just madness it just got to, to madness so quickly and in berkeley especially at the time when that was the late 80s into the 90s it was moving more and more into a kind of madness of how i'm, I'm not sure how we function <laughs> anymore past a certain point so i'm like the wrong person to talk to about all this stuff i have no idea how you parse these questions but somehow there has to be like this, <laughs> this these racial bona fides i i don't even know how you do that i don't know how that's possible yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't know. It seems to be. I, I mean, mean a, how many times can I repeat it? Just like the continuation of or the spread of identity politics into Hollywood. It takes. It seemed so important and seemed useful, and then just turned into such a pernicious hellscape of of, of awfulness. Even even though there's good effects of it, there's also just such terrible effects of it that it's just distressing. That's another great example, though, of, of a citation that happens in the movie. That it's the Idiotic Insider article says, there's a scene where Tick, the lead character, finds in his missing father's apartment, I think it's several copies, but he opens one copy of Alexandra um, Dumas's The Count of Monte Cristo. And in the Insider account, they say it's there because it's about a man who's falsely imprisoned and then freed. In the, presumably they're talking about, you know, the, somehow this this is going to evoke what's going on with the father. And of course, it's, you know, it's it's there because Alexander Dumas was a mixed race guy. He was the son of a general who was in turn a son of a, of a French nobleman living in Haiti 
who fathered a child through presumably rape of, of an enslaved black woman. And so, mm-hmm. you know, he's, he's, it's well known that he, he managed as even as a mixed race um, guy to achieve this kind of stellar reputation, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. So he's kind of famous for that. So it's a kind and that's of, why they show the book. And presumably, all that, yes, yeah. it's a huge deal that, that, and again, big close up, big lingering. Yeah, but so, yeah, I actually, it's in my notes too. I'm like, oh, so banal. It's like Monte Cristo, slow zoom in. Yeah. Zoom in, study it. But on the other hand, the insider writer didn't know that reference. Had no idea. Okay. They didn't. Well, so they didn't describe it. So I'm like, oh my god, they don't know that. All right. So I don't know anymore. I don't know. But it, funny is that since if, if let's say the insider review writer didn't know, so there's like so many levels of ignorance, and whatever I can be ignorant in many ways too. But basically, the level of ignorance they never where do they end? So so. If it and then <laughs> there's so much ignorance, I guess. What if they're right? You need to explain everything. Mm-hmm. You know. Yes, and what, how can it possibly end? Everything is going to have to have yeah. elaborate cliff notes of explanation. I don't know. Yeah, basically elaborate cliff notes for mm. everything. Because how can you assume? Okay, some people know about demand, some people don't know about um, Aunt Mamie. Oh no, no, no. So you have to you have to do all the references, and then I don't even know these references. I guess it's there thinking of American audience, but then if you go wider, because, you know, it's still like imperial production, and mm. people all, all over the world watch it. And there, I mean, unless you like, edu- like a lot of people might really not know just because it's a foreign culture, generally speaking. So I guess for them, this sort of like over chewing of information, I guess, can be helpful just to, like from educational point of view, you know, if you look at the, you know, if, if it's like, Again, screened everywhere, all over the world. But that's like a weird consideration to even, you know, mm-hmm. to even start start having. I know. I used to say that what I really hoped for, and this I this was in the era when I was watching a ton of of Hong Kong action films, and some of them were super fast and furious, and they didn't care if you got it or not. They were just flying it as far as pace. And you know, of course, you're already missing a ton. You don't know the language if you're in America and you're watching it. You don't know the language. You don't know all sorts of references to music and a million cultural things. And but it was so exciting and thrilling. I just thought, oh, I hope we're going into an era of fast, of fast cinema and fast TV, where the whole attitude is, if you can't get it, just tough. That's tough for you. <laughs> Watch it again then and try again. And I just thought that'll be so superb. And I, that, again, that was my idealistic period where I thought everyone was going to be so soaked in movies and television and all kinds of media that it would be no none of this for dummies kind of thing anymore. It was just the assumption was you're imbued with it now. You don't need you don't need cliff notes. And it's gone exactly the opposite way. Exactly. The it's really things are really slow paced. And again, really over explaining, really way too many close ups of this is important. You know, there's just this constant <laughs> life in the mental slow lane thing that is a real agon after a while. Yeah. Just like, are we deliberately trying to make everyone stupider and stupider and stupider? Yeah. Actually, uh, with the stupidity thing, I think when generally, and most shows are shot that way, I guess it's the nature, I don't know, with TV, uh, a lot of things are on medium close-up, or just sort of close-up, mm-hmm. and then sometimes they're just established shot for some kind of car driving, mm-hmm. say in, in the case of this show. That's already sort of like stupefying, unlike even if I <laughs> hated a lot of aspects of it, mm-hmm. like Buckarau never does that. Why not just like let things happen and you kind of look in the frame and find something Mm -hmm. rather than okay close up for five seconds important then like 
I don't know, another close up and in two minutes. Yeah, mm-hmm. it just it's stupefying as a like form wise. Yeah, for it, sure. It, it never caught on in America. You know, it was a it was a big you know that was considered a huge difference between European cinema. It's a big generalization, but it's still pretty true in film history that. Europe, a lot of European cinema went that way, toward that much more. You let the scene play out, the the the, the, the kind of long sequence, mm-hmm. and you just and the eyes allowed to roam around the frame, and it never caught on in any major way. Um, in in America, even though you see in the '60s a lot of European film influences, you get a lot more of it, but it almost always snaps right back to what were essentially yeah. the, the Hollywood standards, and that's exactly it: long shot, medium shot, close up. <laughs> that's so, so far like and they teach you as some kind of like breakthrough thing that you can use to applying to any story any narrative which is honestly kind of stupid i mean it's i guess you can be hollywood hack by learning all the mm-hmm. uh all the moves, all the, <laughs> I don't moves. Know, all the essential camera moves but it won't make you good no, and, and we again we the, the, the things that were good in our history we tend not to return to. So the most exciting film noir starts in the middle of the action. There, there's wild sequences. It'll sometimes be so dark you don't know what the hell's going on, yeah. <laughs> or it'll get really fast and and weird, and you, the the plot goes crazy and you can't follow it. Uh, you know tendencies like that that we could have followed up. You know we've kept we've kept little lip service things to film noir, but we don't really do do the things that were meant to convey how crazy modernity was, how, how fast it came at you, how extreme it was, how violent it was. It was supposed to try to con- convey this is what the world we are in is like. And it just is never, it's never caught on with any, with any staying power. We always go back to these kind of square one basics. It's really distressing. Yeah. Uh, depressing. Yeah, wow. <laughs> yeah, it is. No, it is. Wow. Do you think you will stick to watching the show just for the sake of reviewing? I mean, I might watch it just because you know I'm a Lovecraft fan. Obviously, mm-hmm. not of, of his racism, but he's very, mm-hmm. very brilliant mind when it comes to just um, imagining scenarios. I'm actually reading Michael. What's it? How do you say his name? Hulbeck. Hulbeck. Am I saying it wrong? Michelle. Yeah, Michelle Hulbeck. Hulbeck. Um, who wrote of? Uh, it's actually in book form, but it's a very extended essay about his admiration for um, um, Lovecraft is just a oh wow absolutely where, where is it can you send it to oh me? let me find that you no know, it's actually in the other room I'll, I'll, I'll text you the name of it um, okay. I'm forgetting the name of it right now but I, it was, I had literally just because I was watching the show and I saw it and I was like wow I had literally just ordered it on Kindle and a friend sent it to me mm-hmm. <laughs> so I got a beautiful hard copy in the mail and it's really great I gotta say it's great. Like he gets Lovecraft a hundred percent, and and things that you sort of half sensed, he lays out uh, in ways that are really, really fascinating. And you know, he's like, "Oh, racist! Oh my God!" Devotes a whole chapter to like, "Oh, horrific racist." Sure, but genius, absolutely. And as I always say, talent doesn't make you nice. It doesn't make you nice. Doesn't make you a good person. Um, so, it, but it just as far as insight into why what he calls the great texts, which is a set of the most you know, best known of the, uh, as a rule of the Lovecraft stories. It is beautiful. You know, I really recommend. So anyway, okay. I like him I'll, enough. I'll and I like, again, the project of black experience in America looked at through horror mm-hmm. genre that I think I'll at least stick, stick for a few more episodes, mm-hmm. see how it pans out. And I do like that leading man, Jonathan Majors. Just well, he's what so can I buffed. Say? It's too much. I, exactly, he is so goddamn buff that I have to say it is distracting. He's great looking. <laughs> wow, I, I don't know. To me, it's like, oh, it's just like I don't know, too meaty. 
Mm. Yeah, well, tastes differ on that one. <laughs> what can we say? <laughs> My generally thinking about movies, and I don't think everyone has to be always so hot. That's mm-hmm. like that's the wrong approach. Oh, it can be a huge relief when when they're yes, they just get a regular looking person. Just yeah. generally, like, you know, because that's <laughs> yeah. like everyone, no matter where they are in the world of the movie or show, mm-hmm. secondary characters, or leading man, it's like certain look. Mm-hmm. which doesn't yeah again i disagree i think it's not very and interesting it, i guess it's gotten so bad that it's hard to find those people i was reading a story well you, you probably didn't like it but stranger things mm-hmm. when they picked the, one of the leading roles is a guy who's supposed to be look like this dad who's small town mm-hmm. dad kind of i forget if he's the sheriff or what he's some sort of lawman mm-hmm. but anyway he's supposed to be completely out of shape but like a total doughboy with a gut and everything and i guess they really had to hunt <laughs> Find an actor. <laughs> Almost impossible. <laughs> but it was really refreshing to see him. It's like God that man. was the husband of <laughs> Winona Ryder, right? Yeah, the guy who plays the husband. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you look. It's like, oh wow, that's just a per- you know, just yeah. a person. I don't that know. actually looks like a person who could live in that town. Yeah. Yeah, you're like, okay, that's yeah. that's yeah. fine. But I'm, yeah, but that's probably not easy to find. Anyway. Yeah, God. I guess it was a hunt. Depressing. <laughs> Uh, that's why I like always praise like someone like I don't know Todd Salons or someone who yes, very few people go people. there yeah. yeah who just go who, who just go there which is like feels like oh that's so mm-hmm. just there's something to it but then there's nothing to it it's just people who are not <laughs> Hollywood hotness that's mm-hmm. all like mm-hmm. so it doesn't really take that much to show them or to cast them Right. But anyway, yeah, anyway. It's, it's a different topic. Okay, so yeah, yeah next time we're definitely doing um, we're tackling yes for Carpenter. sure Carpenter Okay, so uh, <laughs> thanks for listening. Yeah, I, I think we definitely should do some episode about what you said because it's pertinent to times today that just generally like talent doesn't make you nice. Talented yeah. people and artists and filmmakers and whatnot, like they're not don't, and don't have to be. And if you like, want to believe say, that, don't read any biographies and don't find out about them because yeah, that's, no. it's not necessarily <laughs> what drives any creation. It could. Some people it can be yeah, good. Occasionally, they'll be a lovely person. But generally, yeah. no, it doesn't. Generally, no. What? It's just it, where the hell that's kind of new. Where the hell that came from? Oh, I know. I think. Yeah, I think we the can people have to pass tackle. some sort of morals test to be to be read or their films or published. Watched or published. It's just like you must be dreaming. <laughs> to, and, well, for one thing, just to have the kind of talent matched with ambition that would allow you to succeed in the first place. Oh my mm-hmm. God, you're probably going to be a holy terror, just absolutely hell. Uh, yeah, and sometimes me- not again. But then I don't know everything I read or. Like Mark Twain related, he seems nice. Oh, he does seem rare, but it's pretty rare. <laughs> pretty rare. No, I'm just generally I'm trying to think. Oh, what an exclusion. Okay, yeah, yeah that kind of stands out. He seems mm-hmm. to really love his wife. I don't know everything you read. Like, yeah, you're are just, you're reading Lord Byron's poetry and going, God, this guy's fucking good. <laughs> but wow, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's a problem. But oh, yeah, the way anyway. Yeats, you can't quote, quote William Butler Yeats now. Great fucking poet. Fucking and great. you can't? No. No. Oh, so wait, he's like almost canceled? Oh, yeah. Very canceled. Because, <laughs> you know, he used to be quoted all the time because he was a revolutionary. He was pro-revolution. But then, you know, he reneged and became conservative and all, he, all sorts of other bad things. <sighs> and Byron is almost canceled? Wait, well, I'm like very ignorant about time. the cancellations. Oh, yeah. Byron for a long time. 
I was unaware. At least in a lot of circles, Byron is, you know. (laughs) It deserves, I think, a separate episode about all this. Yeah, let's do it. Let's, we can, absolutely, it's a favorite topic of mine. All right, so I'll talk to you next week. Okay, perfect. Bye. Bye.